Welcome to Possibilities Podcast Pandemic Minisodes, a bi-weekly mini-episode series where we delve into the possibilities within pandemic times. I'm Kamari, and this is the last minisode of the series. I'm here with my friend and fellow troublemaker, Natty Tremblay. Natty believes deeply in the radical and transformative power of the arts leverage for community-rooted education, organizing, healing, and political activism. They are an identical twin, a Métis francophone farmer, a rambler, and a genderqueer feminist. Over the last 25 years, Natty has developed a broad body of interactive multimedia performance, workshops, and community-engaged artworks exploring identity, power, regenerative reciprocity, healing justice, and the magics of the natural world. They co-founded the X-Face Artist Run Center and the People Project. They are the current ED of Rittenhouse, work at Sketchworking Arts, and are a part of many collectives, including the Drawing with Knives Shadow Puppetry Troupe, the Switch Collective, and the Trans Healing Arts Collective. We are so excited to have them on the podcast to ask our Possibilities Pandemic Questionnaire. So welcome, Nati, to Possibilities Podcast. Hi. Hi. <laughs> welcome. So we're, we're going to start off with how are you and what has your pandemic experience been? Ooh, easy questions. Okay. Um, you know what? I'm going to say I am generally and consistently feeling pretty blessed. And I will name that that is like a state that I work actively to be in because, you know, in these times, I think it is entirely fair for anyone to feel like it's really hard to see and feel even tiny little blessings, but it feels really important. It feels like a, almost a politic because it helps, you know, keep hope up and alive. It helps one to see the possibilities around us, which I think is critically necessary in the work of transformative justice. But also, yeah, I, I do see like the natural world is still around me, still, you know, surviving and resilient. And that gives me a lot of hope and courage. And then also I, I feel really blessed to be connected to communities that are doing all kinds of amazing, radical, visionary work, despite the limitations of pandemic lockdowns and the risks involved. And uh, yeah, just seeing all kinds of manifestations of mutual aid and care and, um, and, and art making and things that, yeah, just folks showing up for each other and, and, and also uh, experiencing folks showing up for me and uh, also really feeling the blessing of being in and with, uh, in responsibility with other people, which is to say that we, we understand that we got each other's backs, that we are looking out for each other and we do what we can, including some of the fine folks in this podcast series. And so, yeah, feeling the blessings and I feel like one other thing I'd say in terms of like how I've been managing this, this time, and I wouldn't say, I'd say the first few months for me as a, as a frontline worker, or a grassroots community organizer, the first few months were really hard because, I mean, I guess I just had to reconcile with my internalized like classism and how that's connected to a kind of a workaholism and feeling like, oh, like who am I and what value do I offer if I can't actually be working alongside people because of the risks involved? because I have many loved ones who are immunocompromised. 
so having to shift kind of my how I orient myself to work in community and admittedly having my own resistances to working in the digital ethers. Yeah, I feel like I've come to a place of being able to hold the nuance of all the feelings in this time like that, like I can feel anxiety and fear and sorrow and guilt and also feel the blessings and feel a lot of love and joy, all of those things simultaneously. And they don't like they're not mutually exclusive. Woo. That's my quick answer. <laughs> That's a great answer. I, I feel like, yeah, there's the, the politics of like gratitude and appreciation. And you mentioned it being hard at the beginning of the pandemic. What has been sustaining you and feeding you in this time? Mm. So, I mean, okay, I have to start with just like I have some really beautiful, strong relationships and that has been really feeding me. And even if I haven't been able to see friends regularly, like doing little things like dropping things off for each other, having little fires or meeting in the digital ethers, I am really lucky that I, I live with my partner and we have a really good, strong, healthy relationship of support and love. And then I also have a relationship with like land-based spaces. I live close to High Park in uh, Toronto, Toronto, the gathering place, and to the Humber River, Quebec Chinook River. And I also, my family, Stewart's Land, in Treaty 2 territories near Lake St. Clair. And being able to be in a relationship and keep growing with the natural world. Um, I'm also an obsessive tree seed collector, and that helps a lot. Because <laughs> the seeds... <laughs> Yeah, they give a lot of information about resilience and survival. But beyond that, I would say like, yeah, trying to figure out how to make art and community engaged art and working with folks who actually have tons of skills in adapting and working with what's emergent and just continually shifting has been super nourishing. At first it was hard, but it's been super nourishing. And, and I'd say also like building that capacity in myself. I think that I thought of myself as someone who could like flow with the waves and I've, I've always thought of that as a philosophy and a politic for, 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 for surviving and for resiliency that like everything changes. And so we, we have to be able to do that as well. Just this last year has been an, a next level of teaching about like, okay, we're going to organize this thing in response to this thing and we're going to incorporate these things. And then, Oh, that changes. And okay. We're just like turning on a dime to do something else and, and like building the capacity to be excited about that or like, just like to, to flow with it and not resist it or, um, necessarily get caught in the morning of like, oh, we had this great idea and it had to shift those kinds of things. And then I would say that Zoom in the, in, and like gathering in the digital ethers has actually like in many ways created more accessibility, inclusion and diversity of gatherings and like being able to meet with people who are in, you know, other parts of so-called Canada and, you know, in the world or, or hosting some online residencies and particularly with trans folks. And, um, having like way more folks apply and participate because they don't have to stress about how they'll get to a physical space to participate. So yeah, I feel like I'm thinking a lot about how if and when we're able to gather again in physical proximity, like how to continue to have that digital component. Thinking a lot about that. Anyway, that was a long-winded answer, but those are some of the things that have been nourishing me in these times. In addition to actually, I just want to say also, all the, all the ways that artists and activists and community organizers have been working alongside everyday people. And of course, everyday people are artists and activists and community organizers. But like, I just, I am seeing so many more people kind of roll up their sleeves in, in the work. And that is like so uplifting and heartening. Yeah, I want to say that too. Okay. Yeah, I love that. that yeah, I love that there's all of, all of these different things that are sustaining you. 
another another hard, deep question, perhaps, is what are you shedding in this time? What are you letting go of? Mm, that's a really good question. Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, I mean, I named Reckoning with Workaholism and how that can connect to a lot of different things and how that can connect to, yeah, I mean, I would say for myself, it has been a way that I've kind of like anchored or moored myself in terms of feeling a sense of personal value and like just like reckoning with like how ableist that is and yeah, how, how, how classist it is and how, how I think that that also shows up a lot in activist and, and left uh, orienting communities where, you know, we're kind of like, we, we only have value if we're constantly going, constantly organizing something, which means in that, that there's no value in resting or caring for ourselves or grieving or taking a pause or reflecting. And I, I have known that, but I've seen it in myself in a whole new way. So trying to shed that or just like notice it more, I feel trying to shed the like the feeling of, oh, I need to get 100,000 things done today. Because I think in the early throes of the pandemic, I was really excited about being home more and maybe being able to conserve more energy. And then, you know, you roll out of bed and jump onto your computer and then you go, 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 go. And you can fit in now like 50 meetings instead of five because you don't have to travel to people. And just, you know, a five minute break in between. And um, I'm just like every day, I feel like it's an everyday work of like, oh, why are you doing that? Oh, oh, maybe this is actually just so that you're not alone with yourself too, too much. So I feel like a shedding is trying to like notice that more, like what, what is motivating me to do the work I'm doing. And of course, there's always urgency. And that's just real. There's always urgency in, in struggle and movements for, for liberation. There always is, unfortunately. And still, like, I, I would never say to anyone that I love, no breaks, no rest. So, yeah, just trying to practice that, I think. Also, yeah, deepening my own understanding of, the, of consequences. Mm. And so I think that I can be, like, how, how does my understanding of consequences for harms caused apply to myself? If I cause harm to myself, if I cause harm to others, and then what does that, what does that mean? What does that look like for other people? like that has been it's both a shedding and kind of a rebuilding as I'm trying to understand transformative justice and what that looks like in this particular moment because I feel like that's a that's a complex area for most folks just like okay so yeah we got a sense of how we apply these different processes but then like what are fair consequences for a harm that's been caused and well how do those consequences kind of inform actual healing not just like a hard spank as that's as a metaphor (laughs) Those are some things that pop up. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like uh, around consequences. It's this balance of like, what is the appropriate accountability? And also like in investigating for yourself why you're feeling a particular way around what would be an appropriate means of accountability. And so mm-hmm. I love that that's both like a, a shedding and a, a deepening question, which is a great lead into my next question of what is the magic of the pandemic? What has been able to grow and open up and and clarify in this time? Mm, Okay. Like, okay. The first thing that comes to mind and because I'm, you know, I feel like zoom anyone who, and I recognize it's it's a privilege to be able to still work in these times and, um, and to work meaningfully. I recognize that and, and safely for the most part. But when you asked the question, the first thing that came to mind was just like, I just see this Zoom grid of like hundreds of faces mm-hmm. and how wild that is. And I'm thinking about an art project I made before the pandemic that has a similar aesthetic to the Zoom. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, hashtag the smiling room. Anyway, 
but it has been super heartening to be in, you know, a one hour or two hour gathering or workshop or forum with like 50 people, 200 people from all over. And that like, I'm not saying that it's as like, I'm still trying to figure out how to include everyone if you have 200 people in a Zoom. But what, what I can say is, even if everyone isn't able to, you know, have direct exchanges, obviously, there's a lot that happens in the chat. And I've been really excited about like recording those things, of course, when people consent, and that people can consent in a way that they're like, I can change my name, I can shut my camera off, and I'm still here present for this thing, my energy is here with this thing. And then that those recordings can be shared out. And, you know, to me, I just, I feel like anything that is useful or meaningful that serves community organizing. I, I personally feel like it should be open source. I want it to be open source. So if a recording of a conversation or a workshop can be shared out, and then that has a ripple effect where people are like, oh, that was really meaningful to me. I'd like to go deeper. I feel like so I feel those ripples from almost every gathering that I've been a part of or workshop or forum or whatever. And that has been really exciting. And again, like it is challenging my own. I mean, I identify as a part-time cyborg, but I still have a lot of... Um, I don't know, resistance to <laughs> digital forums for gathering for obvious reasons. But I'm also seeing yeah, how, how inclusive and accessible it can be. So those are some things. And then also just like, of course, this is contingent on people having access to technology and Wi-Fi. So important to name that. And a, a safe place where they can you know, be on their equipment and, 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 and plug into this, this work. But also having a recording and a video that can be shared out that people can kind of like choose when they plug into a thing is also like just shifting up the ways that people can access information and share it with their communities. And you, know, you can like edit things down into a little soundbite and people can access that and then go deeper when they want or when they can. And that's just, yeah, that's, that's been super exciting. That's been magical. I think like, so from that, like I've been, I've been invited to, to join in into, um, yeah, gatherings and, and like power building initiatives with, with everyday people and like and aunties and like and low income folks who are like, you know, because of my association with this community health center, I've got this like I've got a bit of resources. I've got this this platform I already had this group with folks and like and now we're going into the digitals and building power. We're, we're just building power. And that's yes, workshops. And it's also like I'm just seeing so many different like mutual aid groups like neighborhood-based mutual aid groups and neighborhood-based crisis or emergency response groups and like using technology to kind of help organize people. But like the magic in there is just like folks responding to what's going on in the world, which I like, I could say at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like praying for, I was praying like may, may the people see that like we're in this, not because of, of our misactions, but, but we are connected. We do need to invest and reinvest in social infrastructure, please. And then like, I feel like every month there's like a, just a new layer of like, oh, right, like housing is an issue. It's not just because it's a nice thing. It's like if people don't have housing, they're not safe. They will have to be in tents out in the street and they're less safe. People need to have access to food. That just has to be a human right. And we can say we knew this, but I, I am seeing more and more folks who are, who are not engaged in this political organizing mm. a year ago, two years ago, who are like, oh, oh, because it's, it's on their street. It's in their face. And then the folks are like, oh, racism is real. It is violent. It's not a subtle thing. It's not just microaggressions. It's really blatantly violent. Oh, the police are a problem. Oh, we've been trying to reform them for decades, centuries, in fact. They've always been violent. That's inherent to the work that they do. Oh, we should limit how much they interact with people. Wait a minute. 
if we took even half of their budget and put it into social services, oh my God. You know, I, I, I really think people are making those connections in ways that they haven't before. And that like, that those connections are intersectional and they inherently involve many different movements for the liberation of different peoples in an intersectional way that I just like, I have not witnessed before. And again, I everyday people who of course, you know, live those intersections every day, but haven't necessarily been able to like plug into these like juicy dialogues that are not academic at all. Mm -hmm. You know, we might use the term intersectional and also like use art in different ways to like make sure it's accessible. Anyway, those, those are, those are, I, 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 I could talk about that forever, but there's, been so much magic actually and then I just yeah I just have to say like just I feel like people I am experiencing people being more vulnerable and tender-hearted and caring and like just like showing the ways that whether they say I recognize that I am responsible I have to be responsible in relationship with other people around me by by showing up by being vulnerable by being tender and showing up time and time again I'm seeing like how people are recognizing the value of that. And that to me is like, that's people stepping into regenerative reciprocity again, whether they are like, know that that's what it is. And I hope that folks feel how magical that is. And they're like, regardless of whether we're in this scarcity crisis state, I want to keep living that way. You know what I mean? That's so beautiful. Yes. Regenerative reciprocity. Robin Wall camera. Reciprocity. Okay. So this, this is going to be our last question. It's our bonus question for our folks on Patreon. And our question is, what is this moment reorienting you towards? So beyond and within these mm. ongoing pandemic times, what are you reorienting towards? Mm. Okay. I'm just, I'm going to go with what is bubbling up first. Okay. Mm. So, I mean, I, I could say in transformative justice work, I have... Every, every time I have been called into support with a process, never want to frame it like that I've been invited to come and lead a thing. And even when I have been, I've resisted that. And, and I could say I had a sense of why. And that's a kind of a segue into like I've been thinking and learning deeply about how to do TJ work as an educator or a facilitator or as a, a mediator or a circle keeper. With the, the North Star, right? The guys is when we're like lost in the woods at night. Which direction am I going? there's that North Star, is that like, this is not a profession or a career. I might be in this in a regular way and I may get resourced so that I can pay my rent, but that I, I personally am not invested in it being a long-term career and becoming like uh, some, I don't know, a popularized voice in the work. I am way more invested in making sure that what is, what is useful and meaningful in transformative justice principles and practices today which of course comes from a long lineage and archive of rad, resilient, indigenous, black, dis disabled, sex working, criminalized, drug using peoples, queer, trans, two-spirit peoples, racialized peoples, that, that, that the work of, of sharing that information is seen that way. It's sharing so that others can have that information. It's not about an individual and every time there's a conflict bringing that person in one because that's not sustainable. Too, because that's kind of replicating, you know, the institution of our justice system in that we believe we have been raised, we've been taught to believe, or we've been forced to believe that the only people who can deal with justice meaningfully is our justice system, our professionals who have gone through immense education and, or people who can pay for it. And usually all of that means like white coded wealthy people, okay. heteronormative people, normative people versus anyone can practice it. So like that to me, I've been, I've been, 
yeah, really leaning into like, how do you do that? And also we're at this time where like, there are still some folks who have been practicing for longer and they do have experience and they have wisdom from that experience, which does not mean they're professionals. So how to keep like saying that, especially when you may, maybe only have a one hour workshop or opportunity yeah. to talk to people about it. Like this isn't about me actually. Anything I say is, is subjective and it's contextual. Anything that I've experienced is contextual. And the, the, the point here is that everybody picks up some skills, skills up to step into this work. That's one thing. And then like in that, how do, how do you resource people to do the work? Because it is a lot of emotional holding. It is really stressful. It, it can be something that like communities kind of are like, you were involved in this thing. And we don't agree how this went, which is fair. That is community accountability. And also like it's hard to articulate all the things that lead to decisions that are made with a group of people in a process of accountability or healing in a time when everybody is pretty, you know, that's the sound for, I guess, crisis, scarcity, anger, fear, anxiety, dot, 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 survival. Those are some things I'm thinking about how to resource people, but also not put like, not commodify the work. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's maybe just sitting with all those complex questions as a named thinking about consequences and accountability in this time. What's a fair consequence for someone? How does that shift depending on who they are and the context and and without necessarily saying, well, this harm was only so bad. So this is the consequence and this harm was egregious. So this is the consequence and how to do that without having tons of people who are stepping into the circle. And I say that while more and more people are like, I want to get, I want to learn more. I want to get involved. Another piece to that that I feel is like deeply connected is that a lot of folks are totally in the practice of doing transformative justice work, but they don't use that language. And so how to like help folks see like, oh, when you like, when you were one of those people that people just call in when like shit gets real or, or there's a crisis or something's mm-hmm. going down, you're in it, you know, because you have a relationship and people trust you and you have commitments that people recognize as, as significant in their lives. I think of all of that as like, as transformative justice. Cause, and I say that because people will reach out to me and say, I'm doing all these things, but like, I don't do TJ and I'd like to learn more. And I don't feel like I could step in, in a sort of a way. And, and maybe that is because just like all other practices, we think you need to have a certificate or you need to have done a course or something. And like, I, you know, I've done, I've done some, some trainings and I, they, they were no more valuable than just being in the work with people. And like, just being clear together with what our goals and our North stars are, you know? So those are some things, those are some things. And then the last thing I would say is mindfulness or self-awareness or emotional responsibility in that work, that internal self-work embodied kind of social justice, how much of that is a very, it's an individual, maybe a lonely feeling practice, especially in these times where you might be like very much isolated, but how important that is. And I've, I've known that for a long time. And I've also like, I recognize the ways I've resisted that meditation or whatever practices allow you to just like get real with yourself and be like, I'm just in my body, whatever else is going on in the world. I can just pause it for a moment or like pause my need to interact with it for a moment to just like be with myself and notice how my body feels and my emotions and like how, how much of that is informing the way I work or I organize or the way I respond to being called in or called out or, you know, someone else being called in or called out, how much of that is like a, a kind of a virtue posturing and um, or like trying to like suggest that I belong or I fit in or all these things or just like how much of that is coming from my own insecurities and fears and like just really trying to deepen that really trying to deepen that and it's really hard it's really hard for me and when I like I hold it as so valuable so just this is a, a segue into like the pedagogy like how do we find the language and the like tools and artful ways to like make that also accessible and valuable to everyday people 
in a way that isn't that is honoring the lineages of that work, the spiritual and ethnocultural lineages of, of that work, and getting people to see how important it is in the context of activism and social justice. <sighs> no big deal, easy peasy, right? <laughs> Thankfully, though, in everything that I've talked about, there are all kinds of brilliant, rad, amazing people who have been doing this work for a long time and who have been sharing their work, especially in this last year. And there's not even enough time to shout them all out. But maybe if, if there's an addendum to this session, I could, <laughs> I could shout out all the people. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. There's, yeah, there's so much in that. And I love all of those pieces of reorienting, of how you're reorienting both like internally with community, sharing that knowledge, making that exchange possible, and just like continuing to grow and build these worlds and these ways of being that we want to be being in more and want to continue practicing. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's really been my pleasure. Oh my gosh. Thanks thank for you. inviting me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the good work you're doing <laughs> in the world. Thanks. Thank you for being a sustaining donor. We appreciate you so much. This mini-sode was edited by Dev, produced by Kamari, with creative direction by Umang. The music in this episode is by Lal and Pantaya. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. <laughs>